Hey, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Atlanta Startup Podcast. I'm William Leonard, your host and investor here at Valor Ventures, a leading seed stage VC firm here in Atlanta, Georgia. And today I'm really excited to sit down with Dustin Walsey, co-founder and CEO of Buckle. Dustin, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Excited to be here. Awesome. Well, Dustin, I would love to, to have you educate our listeners on, on what Buckle is practically doing in the insurance space. Buckle is actually greater than insurance. What Buckle really is doing and what we're building is a financial infrastructure for what we call the gig economy and the, uh, the emerging middle market. And what we strive to do is provide financial services to people with uh, within this this segment of the population, starting with insurance, then moving into credit to help them achieve economic freedom. So we started, I think, as you mentioned there, in the insurance world where we're insuring vehicles. We're also working with our, our customers, or we call them members, to also lease them vehicles in the form of credit as well, as we build out a platform for this segment of our population that supports the world we live in. So we are an inclusive financial you know, infrastructure for the emerging middle class, as we like to call it. Awesome. And I guess I'm curious, you know, how do you define the emerging middle market and why did you decide to start there with your customers? Well, we originally started very specifically in the gig economy and rideshare was our initial focus. And this segment of the population, you know, they tend to have lower credit scores. They tend to live more paycheck to paycheck or gig to gig. And starting in this part of the economy, what we realize is there's a broader group of people that are out there. As I mentioned, we started in rideshare, but now it's moved into delivery of food, goods and services as well. And this broader population supports the entire world we live in. And so we realized in order to be really successful in the gig economy. People are moving in and out of the gig economy on a regular basis. So sometimes they're driving for Uber and Lyft, and sometimes they're not. Sometimes they're having a regular job and they're totally out of the gig economy and they're popping in and out. So what we realized is we had to build an infrastructure for this entire population that the gig economy is a fundamental piece of. So that's how it, it, it morphed into this broader population. But we look at this as a group of people that tend to have credit scores of 650 or less. And the world truly penalizes this population in the form of 50 to 100% more in their insurance costs, two to three times more in their uh, leasing and financing costs. And it the society is just holding them back. So if we can help these people break through and save some money on their insurance and get a better vehicle that can earn more money, that the, the whole ecosystem and the whole society gets better. So our, our focus is really on people that are trying to break free of what we call a credit score trap and the trap that's holding people down. So that's really our focus. And if you look at what the gig economy is, it's people that work, for example, at a CVS that do extra side hustles on the weekend to make some, you know, make extra ends meet. They might work at an Amazon warehouse and, you know, do work on the side to help pay for a vacation. And it's this segment of the population that we're trying to provide this financial infrastructure for that the world just doesn't exist today. Got it. No, I think that's a that's an interesting way to to enter into the market there. And and so taking a step back here a little bit, Dustin, what is your background? How did you come to figure out this large issue? And then, you know, what were the practical next steps for you after realizing how large and how impactful this this problem was in the community? Yeah, I mean, so stepping back, my background, I'm born and raised in Atlanta. So uh, Atlanta is a, uh, a very 
very important part uh, of my life from uh, the city and its growth to our sports teams and the like. Specifically, I grew up in the newspaper business from a family of entrepreneurs, a uh, creative loafing newspaper uh, where, you know, I worked as a uh, intern or my, you know, with my family and in the newspaper business. But fast forward, I got into the insurance business in 2008 and I started insuring taxis and limousines. And to, to refresh your memory, Uber started in the black car business where you would ride, you know, they, it was limousines and, and that was their original, their original business model that then eventually morphed into people using personal auto or their own cars to drive for Uber in the form of Uber X. And what ended up happening in the insurance industry, and still to this day, the challenge that exists is when people use a personal asset in a commercial fashion, financial infrastructure is very broken there, right? The world lives in personal or commercial, whether it's in the insurance space, whether it's in banking, you kind of name it. And what, when Uber smashed those two things together, it created a, a void in the marketplace because as a salesman at heart, I didn't have an insurance product to sell an UberX driver because all the insurance carriers would deny coverage if they found out you were driving for Uber. And that became the idea, build a insurance policy specific for this driver. And that started Buckle back at late 2016, early 2017. Got it. And so were you like riding in the back of these vehicles to start out to really understand the problem? Like, tell me a little bit about that. It, it's funny. So yes, I'll never forget. What I realized is when Uber Black showed up, I could get in the back and it was just called Uber at the time and sell to these drivers. And I would sell commercial policies. And I talked to all the drivers. So I got to know all the commercial policies or the black car drivers in the vast majority and in the state of Georgia. So that's where it started. And obviously I got to know people in Uber and Lyft and, and that's where I understood where the void in the marketplace started to occur. I mean, today we still have brand ambassadors that go out and talk to drivers and do the things that we've talked about of, you know, riding in the backs of Ubers. But we, we also, you know, we advertise smartly through, you know, Facebook groups and the things where drivers tend to, you know, congregate. And we also work with our partners, for example, Lyft, who promotes us through their app. And actually you can buy our actually insurance policies in the Lyft app right now. So it really partnering with the delivery companies, the TNCs to smartly reach out to these drivers. Interesting. And so, you know, as you think about insurance and really at the on the onset of Buckle, insurance is kind of a state to state thing, right? And so you started in Georgia. You mentioned you were born and raised in Georgia, but was launching your business here more so a factor of proximity or was there something about the infrastructure of the state of Georgia or a combination of both? Yeah. So uh, there's a couple things in that question. Yes. Insurance is state to state, which is absolutely brutal because you might as well be country to country because everything is different as you cross state lines. So that creates its own unique challenges, uh, which we can go into later. But we started in Atlanta because A, I was, I was down here, um, had experience in the Georgia market in general. And on top of it, it's a very strong market, A, from population, right? We're one of the largest states in the country or cities for that matter. And on top of it, it has a very strong, at the time, rideshare uh, driver base, one of the largest. Because when you take out kind of New York and San Francisco, those are real full-time drivers and look more like taxis and fleets. And the vast majority of drivers down in, in Georgia or Atlanta are the part-time driver, which is defined by us by people driving less than 30 hours a week, which is our core focus. Uh, it didn't hurt that there was you know, a lot of talent down here, both on the insurance side as well as the tech side to get started. But that was the reason for it. And being from Atlanta, living here, it made sense. Right. Perfect. And I guess, how many states are you all operating in right now? And is, is California included? 
We are not in California yet. Um, we have various programs across a bunch of different states in the country. California is one of the more challenging states to get into from a regulatory perspective. So it's taking some time and it's definitely on our roadmap, mm -hmm. but uh, uh, I don't know the exact count today. Yeah. I ask about, you know, California and in larger states like that because of the, the legislation we saw last year with Prop 22. Mm -hmm. How does legislation like that trickle down and impact buckle at some point. We pay a lot of attention to the various laws or you know, proposals being introduced across the country. Uh, specific to Prop 22, Uber and Lyft and DoorDash and those companies invested a lot to make sure that these drivers were classified as independent contractors. And we can live in a framework buckle that can go either way. But uh, we believe that the independent framework is what these drivers really want because they want to work when, where, how, what, you know, all the like. So we support that as well. You know, California though, is just a massive state right. and, uh, you know, they're a leader on some of these issues and we'll see what happens over time. Um, I know there's some legislation in uh, Massachusetts around the similar topic and, uh, you know, there'll be other things in various states. Yeah. And how they classify. But I will tell you, if anything I've learned in the last 18 months is post COVID, the gig economy is not going away. Our habits have been changed. We like our food delivered. We like our groceries delivered. We like our packages delivered. And if anything, COVID solidified the gig economy into our world. And, you know, whatever happens with whatever types of legislation, Buck will be positioned right there because these drivers are, or these workers, you know, are embracing, you know, this side of the economy, which is how we now all consume goods and services. Definitely. I've seen an uptick in delivery. I think, you know, Uber now has the, the package service where they deliver and things like that. So you're kind of seeing a reverberation throughout the entire ecosystem of, of innovation and, and just new services being added. And so... You know, really in thinking, thinking in terms of Buckle as an insurance company and a financial services provider, mm -hmm. obviously you're going to be offering insurance services to gig economy workers. But, you know, what are some of the other core services or value adds that you're providing to, to the workers in this space? Yeah. So we, I, again, I, we touched on first, it was insurance. And then the second most important thing is vehicles in leasing. So what we're doing is we're helping our members purchase vehicles through lease to own programs where they build equity in these vehicles. They own the cars. They're not paying exorbitant interest rates. They're paying fair rates. They're paying fair market value, reputable dealers, not these buy here, pay here lots that have just predatory lending practices. So helping these drivers get their vehicles is, is a critical piece. So if we ensure them, help them provide vehicles. And, and it just, it's great for the entire system. Over time, we probably will be ensuring, you know, these big, you know, TNCs and, and delivery networks as well, because they're carrying corporate insurance on those wheels. So our focus is really to be just a, a total uh, infrastructure play for the entire ecosystem. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. And you all have been in operation since 2017, correct? I mean, yeah. I mean, we were very, very, very small in 2017. And obviously, over the last four years, the gig economy has become more relevant. Um, I think it's one of the largest populations of employment in the country right now. And so obviously, that's going to call for more people to build companies in this space. So I'm curious as to you know, how you see yourself in differentiation from the competition and in, in other companies building um, in this space. Yeah, so hard about this industry 
is it's regulated at the state level. So it takes a substantial amount of patience, capital, infrastructure to build out a full stack insurance carrier that can operate in you know every state in the country. Not and it's not just, you know, buying a carrier. It's dealing with all the regulatory compliance issues that exist every single, you know, place that we do business and they're all different. And in being successful at that creates, you know, very large uh, challenges for new incumbents to come in. So we feel that that's important to us. Um, I mentioned earlier, one of the things that's, you know, close to us is we don't use credit uh, in any of our decision-making processes. And if you look at most of the carriers out there, the insurance companies out there, credit is fundamental to their business model. And by ignoring credit, because we do, again, think it's discriminatory. We think it creates a competitive advantage because we use other metrics and other data sets to underwrite, to allow these drivers to be more competitive. So, you know, we look at various forms of data to create, you know, our unique underwriting advantages, pricing rates, rules, and forms. So, you know, there's a lot of things out there. On top of it being very smart on how we distribute our product, uh, it is a very competitive industry. I mean, you probably turn on the TV and every other ad, if not every third ad is, you know, an insurance ad. So how do you smartly acquire customers um, and provide them the products that, or the coverages that they want and need? So uh, a lot of time and energy is invested kind of in those three fronts. But uh, standing up a full stack insurance carrier is not a trivial task. Yeah. And I think you mentioned something interesting there, the the deviation away from credit scores and, and credit assessments. Is that, do you think that's going to become the norm over the next decade? Is, is deviating away from that and looking at other points of data, more important points of data versus a credit score? I think it has to, right? Um, we're starting to see it across the industry where people are starting to talk about uh, credit score being discriminatory, but it, but it really is. And I think we're going to see regulators really try to drive away from it because it creates redlining situations. It creates, again, discriminatory issues for people. So I think we're going to see moves towards that um, over the next, you know, even not even the next decade, over the next two to five years, even faster, because as the economy grows, right, it's separating more and more between high credit and low credit. And how can we get this population a, a better product and service because their credit score probably doesn't reflect truly what they're doing. And as I mentioned before, you have a low credit score. You, it, society is holding you back based on your credit score and you just can't break free. I mean, listen, if you can save you know, $50 a month on your insurance because you don't have poor credit, I mean, it, it goes to your bottom line. And so how do we help these drivers, these people get you know, more profit in their pockets to, to break free of this, this credit score trap? So we do believe fundamentally as part of our business as well that society is going to move. Yeah, yeah. I hope we, we do shift away from more predatory discriminatory discriminatory practices like that. So in, in shifting gears here a little bit, a large portion of our listeners are early stage pre-seed seed founders. And, mm -hmm. and every time I have a founder on a podcast, you know, we try and get insights and tips and tricks on fundraising. And you've raised over $30 million at Buckle. And so you've seen a lot and you've learned a lot. And Curious, do you have any unique insights that you can share uh, to our listeners about fundraising at the early stages, how to navigate this, this cycle, how to navigate 
efficiently through just fundraising in general? Any things to look for in investment partners or any tips? The first thing and probably the most important thing is to really have in my opinion, your story, addressable market, how you fit, really simple to understand, extremely tight. Um, if my 15-year-old or 14-year-old son can't understand it and articulate it right back to me as clear as I did to them, it, it's, it's too complicated. So my, my first thing is really, really hone in on what it is that you're building and and be really tight and how the market wants that. And I think if anything, that's the most critical piece and probably till the end of time. I mean, if you look at, you know, all these amazing companies, we all kind of understand really what they do. It's not hard to figure out what Amazon does, right? So it's very, being able to really understand it. The second piece is to talk to as many people as possible, not just uh, investors, but, you know, potential partners, potential founders, just to, to start networking, because it's amazing in the early stage, what you can find by talking to people that have similar uh, challenges or face similar challenges and the insight that you can get for them. Because we all make mistakes and we all have wins, but learning from others, it would be a critical piece as well. I, I would also say, obviously have uh, surround yourself with you know, people that know things that you don't know to diversify uh, in, your, in the fundraising process. Um, but, uh, and, then, and then at the same time, really target what we did successfully is people that fit our niche of what we were trying to do. So our VCs or our early stage funding had really strong insurance backgrounds where we started. So we didn't have to do a huge education of what the insurance industry is and how it works in order for them to understand where they need to be. So I'd say those sort of things, but again, tight, 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 tight story that it's very easy to understand. Yeah. Like, absolutely. I mean, in the beginning, it was like insurance for Uber drivers. I mean, I could break it down worst case to that. And people are like, I understand. Right. No, I think that's excellent advice. Oftentimes you see founders tend to overcomplicate what they do and, you know, really kind of butcher the elevator pitch because it just becomes so elongated and so complex. And like you said, insurance for Uber drivers, that's simple. You know what they do but you can break it down if necessary. Yeah, I mean, I would even say if you can't make it into this beautiful slide deck, that's a couple slides that if anybody can understand, it's just too complicated. Uh, I'm not saying that complicated companies can't make it, but it, mm -hmm. I mean, simplicity really wins. Yeah. And, uh, it, it, and there's, there's, uh, there's I, I can't say enough about that. Yeah, no, and, and Buckle has become a large company now. How have you thought about growing the team and, and company building? Is there any insight onto how you can effectively hire, how you can create a culture where people want to work for you um, and, and really love what they do day in and day out? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's an evolution without a doubt. I, I, I think from a, a culture perspective, it's being inclusive uh, and diverse across your entire team and uh, very much communicate and be very open with what we're trying to do, how we're trying to do it to get, to get everybody a bought in, but also get everybody else's opinions um, and points of view. Because if, if you don't have this diverse point of view, you, you kind of all get yes people. Um, so I, I, I think that that's, that's one thing. Um, you know, it's, it being in the call it insure tech, FinTech space, there's a lot of excitement. So I think that's, that's definitely helped. So being able to capitalize on things like that, um, 
but also again, finding and exploring, trying to find the right talent to surround yourself with, because as we grow, right, I move further and further out of the day-to-day functions and getting people that you trust that can, uh, you know, take on, you know, huge tasks, uh, big, hairy, audacious goals and, and, uh, and accomplish things is, is so critical. So again, getting your, your story right, talking to the right people, networking, networking, networking. Um, I know it's a little harder in this now that kind of COVID's over, but talk to as many people as you can and you'll find amazing people out there because companies in the end of the day, I don't care how good of an idea it is. If you don't have a killer, killer team, mm-hmm. nothing will happen. Yeah, no, I agree. We see it all the time and it's so important to hire people into the culture, into into really the environment that is going to help build your company and solidify it and get others to want to join. Um, so it's a really great insight there, Dustin. And lastly, you know, as we wrap up this episode, you mentioned you're an Atlanta native. You know, you grew up here your entire life. Um, you're, we were talking prior, your children are getting ready to go to school, um, to university. You know, what impact has being in the Southeast, specifically Atlanta, had on Buckle's success? And, you know, if you had to do it again, would you build here in the Southeast again? Uh, I mean, I think diversity, and you see it within our team, um, was, was a key piece to our early success. Um, would I build here again? Yeah, why not? I mean, this is, there's so much talent here. There's so many great things going on in Atlanta. Uh, selfishly, I always want this, this city to win out on everything, all the corporate headquarters moving here and, and the likes. Um, but, you know, Atlanta is just a, it's a special city that's got just this incredible group of people um, you know, whether it's, you know, all the stuff po- popping out of Georgia Tech and the ATDC and being involved down there and just uh, just being involved in the broader community creates this, this awesome in- environment. Um, now, um, we're much more spread out than we were. Uh, we've, we've learned how to be more decentralized uh, it, due to COVID. And, uh, you know, it's allowed us to hire even a more diverse group of people because everybody doesn't have to be in one or two places. And we're learning how to deal with that, but we will always have a, a strong presence in, in this town. Um, it's just, it's, it's a great town. It's a great town for all different types of talent. Yeah, yeah, certainly. You see, like you mentioned, Georgia Tech, you've got Georgia State, Morehouse, Spelman, universities oh, yeah. that are just continuously and consistently putting out great talent, feeding right back into the ecosystem here. You've got Microsoft building their hub on the west side of the city. So Atlanta is at a true inflection point, I think, of of growth and and really building a sustainable ecosystem here. So I'm excited that that you're building here and, and that we're seeing more companies relocate from West Coast cities here because of the talent, because of the the cost of building, because of the the resources, the 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 corporations here. So it, it's exciting to see all together. Yeah. And then those companies they'll have you know Founders will spin out of, you know, Microsoft or FanDuel, I believe, just announced it's going to be here. And all, you know, Facebook's got a huge presence. And, you know, people will start companies out of there and it will just create this flywheel that keeps spinning. And there'll be more companies that start out of Atlanta and some of them will be the next, you know, big, amazing thing. Um, so it's, it's really an awesome place to be uh, yeah. on a lot of fronts. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, Dustin, this has been a, a really insightful episode. I think our listeners will 
have a, a clear understanding of what Buckle is doing in the gig economy space um, and how you're really trying to, to increase inclusive, inclusivity um, and really just enhance the, the overall experience for the, the middle market individual. So really excited that you were able to join me today. I appreciate your time, Dustin, and, and hopefully we can do this again soon, man. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Cheers. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Atlanta Startup Podcast. You know, we're not just a podcast, we're a community, and we'd love to see you at one of our digital or physical events. Go to valor.vc and sign up for an event that makes sense for you. We have events for founders and the investors who back them. Another event you might enjoy is Startup Runway. The Startup Runway Foundation is a Valor organization that provides $10,000 grants to founders who are women or people of color building next generation software products. Applications are free and we'd love to hear from you at startuprunway.org. That's startuprunway.org. And as always, thank you so much to the organizations that make this podcast possible. Not only Valor Ventures, but also Right to Market, a tech marketing and PR agency in Atlanta, Georgia, and the Startup Runway Foundation, and Atlanta Tech Park, Valor's headquarters, and also headquarters for over 100 local entrepreneurs building global businesses. See you next week. Please bookmark the podcast and join us.